Hi, and welcome to the Miseducation of the SLP. I am Ingrid, one of your hosts, and I am here once again on the seventh rotation of being solo. (laughs) So as you guys know, episode seven, I was by myself and had to record a, you know, solo episode because of some issues, technical difficulties, you know, attempts to record. And this is episode 14. And I am here once again, doing a solo recording. And it had less to do really with um, technical difficulties and actually more to do with the circumstances of life. I've actually been out of the country for the last three weeks. Um, The recordings that you've been listening to were done prior to me leaving. And we crammed those bad boys in because we didn't want to make it a situation where we paused the momentum of the show for the benefit of you know me being out of the country and I yell it and Ashanti having you know life to handle. So we did what we could to like just record as much as as possible and and gave ourselves a little reprieve. Um, when I've returned, which was um, just actually a few days ago, I came back to a summer salt of jet lag, like you wouldn't believe. It was literally 30 hours of travel to get myself into a position where I could kind of balance myself and coordinating with Ashanti, who was going to be the uh, co-host for this episode, it just became too challenging, especially when it came to her circumstance of her dog actually dying. So she had to put down her her lovely, lovely Mimi. Um, and that was tough. That was tough. So to be accommodating, to be understanding, and to be thoughtful, you know, we all are just doing the best that we can. And so I decided let's just... Um, kind of give everyone a break and I will do the episode solo. Um, I was away. And so in that, it gave me actually a lot of time to kind of process everything that's been going on with this miseducation of the SLP, the things we've been talking about. Um, And I also had some time to kind of read this book called Uncaring, and it is by Dr. Robert Pearl, who is this long-standing CEO of Kaiser Permanente, um, overseeing multiple physicians. He's a plastic surgeon himself, who did a onslaught of services um, in that realm, more so towards the medical necessity side versus the cosmetic side in regards to plastic surgery. And I got to learn a lot about the physician perspective in the healthcare arena. And there's still more to unpack when it comes to this book. Um, And it kind of put me in a position where I sat back and I thought to myself, physicians are documenting how challenging and fucked up the healthcare arena is. Nurses, especially on TikTok, um, I went out actually. And I was talking to some nurses and they are like so frustrated with the healthcare system. There's just no words to begin to explain the level of frustration that these nurses are experiencing right now and are posting it on TikTok. And there's like 
strikes that are happening and irritation and just so much frustration in the healthcare arena right now. And the only thing that keeps being discussed is how they're heroes and not how they're frustrated. Um, And for the longest, I've heard physical and occupational and speech therapists complain about the healthcare system. And it just keeps being a complaint (laughs) that goes nowhere. Um, Which leads me to the email that I received from Asha about Asha dues. And this is traditionally the time when SLPs start to complain and start to get upset about paying dues. And we really start having these frustrating conversations and we get on to social media complaining, but absolutely a majority, if not all, spend their time paying their dues. There's never been a situation where people have actually comfortably said, I'm not paying it and felt okay about that because of the consequences or because of the retaliatory feeling of it all. And I don't encourage anybody to do anything that isn't comfortable for them. But I do understand that complaining about something over and over and over again that you repeat seems a little silly and not helpful to the overall um, scope of your spirit. When you're thinking about yourself as a human being and your peace, you don't want to feel like you're in a position where you're just constantly upset. So the discussion about paying dues, at some point, we just kind of either need to make the decision that it's going to be something we do no matter what, because there's no alternative, or there comes a time where we do make a really loud noise about it and just say, we're not going to pay. And we're going to do that because we don't feel this organization is to our benefit. These, of course, are just internal feelings. Everybody operates within ASHA in their own facet. Some people find it greatly beneficial and greatly um, supportive of their needs, of their clinical practice, of their um, points of view. Um, Some people find it to be such a threatening organization that could destroy them that they you know, kind of tiptoe around the experience because they don't want to be on the outs. Um, They want to use the benefits of being ingratiated or in a positive manner uh, or positive relationship with the organization. And so there's that. Um, Personally, I have a precarious relationship with ASHA because I didn't really involve myself very much. Um, I mean, I had my positive experiences in some facets, but in general, this organization, to me, I was out of step and out of touch with it, and getting ingratiated or invested in it just felt like too much of an uphill battle, and I still feel that way. Like I still feel like my relationship with Asha is something that I really would have to work on to develop and grow, and it's just a one-sided relationship in my point of view. Um <clears throat> I don't know that I've ever felt like that organization was really caring about the clinical practice of it all, about what I have been passionate about since I started being a speech-language pathologist. It's just the clinical practice. And um, because I've ingratiated myself as a diverse person in it, um, the research is just so challenging for me because I don't see Haitian research. I don't see, you know, the small um, 
second English, like English as a second language learner as part of the research for um, the continuing education that I receive. And propriety about how things need to go is challenging and, and kind of ambiguous a little bit. Uh, people would say there's structure to it. I do not see that. I do not see uh, that there's structure. I think there's a lot of feelings that go into um, our discipline and it's what has caused us to be a discipline that cannot support what services we provide in an objective manner that says this is how we benefit people definitively without question. Here's the data that reflects that. Um, we have competitors to our data. We have data, you know, the, the Passy Mirror, which I love. I utilize Passy Mirror Valve for inline ventilation utilization, but there's people out there that, you know, don't feel the data is valid. You know, the same with Vital Stem. There are people out there that don't find it valid. Um, LSVT has been one of the more consistent objective arenas. Um, and we talked about that um, in one of the other episodes and just how much research they did put into it. Oral motor exercises being beneficial. Again, it's this inconsistency. Is it really work? Does it not work? Um, there's so much. There's so much to unpack when it comes to that. And so when you think about this discipline um, and you think about our national organization's role in it and you think about yourself in it, it becomes this almost gap experience. You know, you really don't find your footing in where you feel your value as a prof providing professional to be able to stand up to your bosses and say, I can't see 9,000 patients in one day. The data just reflects that this is not appropriate. <laughs> Um, I am hearing more and more from the social media platform arena about how SLPs are out there advocating for their clinical practice to be more on the appropriate side. It is coming from what I would consider a grassroots arena. And so I do like that. Um, but it isn't coming from the top down, which is why I have the gap relationship that I do with ASHA. It's because it just isn't there for that kind of control or um, regulation. Um, to update my situation, I still have been on unpaid suspended leave and I haven't heard anything. Um, I also haven't checked my mail in three weeks, so that could be uh, waiting for me uh, when I go down to check my mail. <laughs> but uh, I also sit back and I think to myself, like, in this time frame that I'm in this hiatus, what is it that I want to contribute? What is it that I want to change? And what do I want to provide? And it really is to be just honest about what are we doing? What are we doing? How are we moving about this in a way that is actually changing how we're perceived in society and changing how we feel about um, our level of respect in society? And it comes down to a lot of people being grateful, but that isn't enough. There's a lot of people out there that are grateful for speech language pathologists, and they think the world of what we do, but that hasn't changed our value in society and our role. We are still paid, you know, pretty horribly, and we are treated like second-class citizens versus 
being treated very well. So the arena of being independent or entrepreneurs is really appealing. And it becomes one of those spaces where you go, well, what do I need to be able to be an independent worker within this profession? And depending on what you want to do, some things are necessary versus not. You know, your certification would be necessary for your own self-employment unless it matters to the perspective of your clients and the people that you're seeing um, or the licensure, if you needed to have your license to practice. But if you're not going to practice and you're just going to do business and you're going to do it without, those C's don't really matter. Neither does the license, to be honest, because you're not actually practicing. You're just doing a business. So these are things that entrepreneurs get to consider and get to look at. Um, but they want the value, they want the prestige, and they want the respect of what the certification indicates and what the license indicates. It all means that you're in good standing, and this is a societal norm, and this is what we all kind of operate under the clarity of, and that this is important. So that's the reason why everybody turns around, despite all the complaining, to pay their dues. Um but does it need to stay that way? Can we be respected as good providing clinicians without those things? Um, and do they really help us um, kind of express our, our expertise and our capacity to do things? These are all big, huge questions. <laughs> and I don't know the answer to any of it. Um, but when I was reading Uncaring and I was reading about the doctor's perspective, it really gave me clarity about all of us going through an experience where the business model of the United States and capitalism has increased so pervasively, especially during the time of desegregation, when there's been more diversity in society and the pressing down of those roles where the minority live in terms of their value and their respect in society. That is what I'm kind of identifying and seeing in a more, in a more abstract way when I'm looking at the relationship between money and diversity. And that's really significant. And diversity includes gender, it includes race, it includes culture, it includes all of that. So as diversity is infused into the workforce where more women are in the workforce, more um, individuals with different backgrounds are in the workforce, since that desegregation law and how that has impacted money, I really do see there's been this deep pressure to oppress. Um, and so doctors are starting to feel it and they really have a small increase in diversity in the general scope of things. Um, there are definitely more women in the medical arena, um, not in every environment, but in a lot of them. Oh, guys, I wonder if you're catching that. There's police sirens going off. <laughs> um, welcome to downtown living, right? Um, but anyway, the experience of being a professional 
and recognizing that you're looking at physicians and you're seeing that the diversity is increasing and then you're seeing their complaints are increasing. And it, that correlative component is really fascinating to me. And it's part of society as a whole. Despite the respect that so many physicians feel they deserve as just being professionals, they've also done things scientifically that do not reflect their expertise because it isn't equal um, and it isn't appropriate for all patients. There's a lot of, of poor medicine that has happened from the dictation or the direction of doctors that's documented in so many components of research when it comes to the disparity in how Black people experience medicine, how Black women experience medicine, how lower socioeconomics experience medicine, and how physicians themselves don't analyze that to reflect their own lack of execution in certain arenas, but then they're complaining about not being trusted or respected and having to kind of be almost employees now um, underneath the highest respected person in a hospital, which is the CEO, uh, the business owner. And so because they're starting to feel that, it, it becomes something where you go, can we have allies? Is it possible that we can have allies in trying to change the whole healthcare arena to stop being business-centered? I don't know. I would hope that we would try to have this conversation for real, sincerely, and with the data that's presented to show that it doesn't do what it should do. But how do you compare something because you don't know what the other thing looks like? We talk about universal health care a lot as a nation, um, but we don't really spend time with the science of universal health care from other places that have it more successfully worked out in comparison to what we're doing and making it less business-centered and just more about taking care of patients. And preventative medicine, the idea of making sure that we're doing everything we can to anticipate problems and help them. And for my you know, medical professionals that work in the pediatric arena or it, outside of the medical arena and in the schools or in patient clinics, those aspect of how do we infuse more money in this early on, because in the future, you're going to need less support because we've done these services for you and we've given you tools that can make you a more independent individual in society. These are things of value. These are things that we can try to look at to implement and provide, but we don't do those things enough, I don't think, despite there being so much supportive data. And there's plenty of it. There's plenty of it. And so if there's the curiosity there and there's the data there, what has limited us? And I think it comes down to the people. There hasn't been enough people that have made enough noise to make it uncomfortable to ignore. And when it comes to social media and paying dues, I feel that. I feel that. I feel like there's a lot of stuff happening that's easily being ignored because there's no people to back it up. 
there's voices, but there are no people doing anything. And so what's the point of the complaint? And what do we do in those spaces? If we're really that unhappy that we make so much rattling noise, why are the people not showing up? And just to have the conversations, just to really have the conversations. And what platform can we do it that actually makes sense to where we would feel motivated to sit down and have honest conversations with our national organization transparently, honestly, and sincerely, and be heard. It, it's been a challenging thing to be able to be heard. Um, I do think that Asha listens. I really do. I think Asha cares enough to listen. Um, what they understand, I don't know, because it's built under the backdrop of academics and administrative, you know, money and education. But that's not the same as clinical practice. And that is not how the organization was developed, is with a clinical practicing voice, front and center loud, speaking about what needs to happen for the clinician. Um, so it leads to a lot of ambiguity and that's the thing that's concerning for me. Um, having those conversations, I don't know if they'll ever occur, but I do think that they might make a difference if we have people that are interested in making movements instead of making noise. Um, and I think the same would be true for healthcare and for providing good care for every single person that we try to see to make their lives better with communication, cognition, language, motor speech, swallow, and all of the different facets that we operate in, in the in-between spaces, voice, you know, all, all of it, we could really make a huge, huge impact because we are scientists and we're capable of that. Um, I believe in being responsible. I believe in doing the best that I possibly can do. And as I continue to plug away at the book for the miseducation of the SLP and this podcast, I'm reminded of the fact that I am responsible for every choice, every outcome, and every experience that I have in this life. And if I'm complaining about something, it's my responsibility to make a change and to do something different about it and not to just expect it to be done for me. And I think that that is a huge aspect to my personality that holds me accountable every single day and makes me believe that there's a way to make changes in the world in a big way. Um, I just don't know if it's going to be something that I do alone and let the avalanche of, <laughs> of, I don't know, retaliation or threat or concern and, you know, be a cautionary tale, or if I'll do it in a collective with a lot of people that actually are like-minded and are interested in doing something as well. And that becomes really the biggest question I have overall. Um, but I'm 
going to be reaching out to doctors and nurses and physical and occupational therapists and continuing the discussions and hoping to develop collectives of people that do want to make changes in whatever facet that they're in, that they feel comfortable in and what they feel is optimal for their life. And, you know, that also includes having honest conversations with your local state and with our national organization and doing everything that we can to be understood in these times of pressure and frustration and irritation, because there is a lot of irritation, um, at least on my part. I'm irritated like no one could explain because I'm just so frustrated by the fact that I work so hard to be an expert and I can't be, and I can't be. Um, I just won't be respected that way because it's not quote unquote my scope of practice or quote unquote not um, you know what I'm able to do when in terms of clinical practice, all those things occur every day. I make those clinical choices every day. We all make clinical choices every day that don't require any oversight because we are actually good scientists and we do know what we're doing and it's not with the intention of patient harm. It's actually to the benefit of the patient. And if we were on teams to be able to indicate that versus in a space of hierarchy where everyone must yield to the higher up, whether it be your boss or whatever, and we were just on teams, like we were all just in agreement of what we could all do, contribute and provide to the cir circumstances, it would be a whole different type of thing. Healthcare would be a whole different type of, uh, of arena. And um, I recognize it when it comes to spaces of academia uh, for like school uh, teaching hospitals or school-based hospitals that really care about everybody at an equal level. And I see the patient outcomes look much better for, for environments like that. So I do think those models are there um, to show that we can all be experts in the room and be respected. But it's not the majority of healthcare. It's not the majority of, of business. Um, this, even the schools are a business. And so they are not operating with the idea that SLPs are experts and know what their caseload should be and how they should you know, dictate their care. There's not a lot of that um, opportunity for SLPs. So we have to consistently prove it. We have to prove our expertise. We have to prove our capacity. It's those things that make me wonder how to shape and change the perception where it's not so hard and where it's not so individual, where it can be a full collective of everyone sitting around going, okay, we agree with you. We agree with you. You are an expert in the room. So that frustration not being possible to or not, that frustration for the possibility of being respected is why I failed so badly out of this arena. Um, it just never occurred to me that I could never be the expert. And I operated with that. And um, I can admit that there are places where I feel unapologetic about the circumstances of what has unfolded for me. And there are spaces where I do feel apologetic 
Um, but there's also one singular space that exists in that I was never given an opportunity to be truly evaluated and forgiven or considered somebody who knows what I'm doing. And that's the problem for me is that I wasn't given the opportunity even to be considered as somebody who knows what I'm doing at any point in any of these processes. It literally was just a hunt to discredit my capacity to do my job because I didn't agree with a physician and operated that way. And I do know that there are plenty of professionals out there that, that recognize that individuals are part of medical care and some are better than others. And so not every doctor is the monolith of knowing everything and amazing. There are some where you're like, wow, you are not able to, uh, you know, do your job well. Um, and there are speech therapists like that. And there, there, it just, we're all disciplines. We all are people. So we all have the capacity to be better than others and so on and so forth. And I was just never given an individual experience in any of it and any of it. Um, ultimately I just became a person who was incompetent because I made different choices than expected within policies or procedures or within, you know, what is considered the law for licensure. And I'm, I'm just shrugging my shoulders at it. Cause I'm like, it doesn't, it's, it's not a reflection of the reality of the situation. I do know what I'm doing. I have spent a lot of time studying and I do love patient care. Um, and I do practice without harming them. And so the idea that they need to be protected from me by other medical professionals that don't know what I do is the thing that I'm like, well, there's a level of I'm sorry in it and a level of I'm not sorry because I should be respected and considered a person who knows what I'm doing and that I'm not in, I'm not out there to do any harm. So without that, without that as part of the process for any of these things, I'm going to fail and I'm going to fail very miserably. And I'm okay with that. I am okay with that. Um, I want to thank anyone and everyone who keeps coming back to listen to this show, to listen to my thoughts, Ayelet's thoughts, Ashanti's thoughts, and experiences of other SLPs and other um professionals, SLPAs, CODAs, um, we will continue to share those stories and we will continue to highlight that this whole thing, this whole experience is a big, massive ball of bullshit <laughs> because it's business driven. It's not patient driven. And we all know it. Everybody knows it. There's no one who doesn't know it. And because we are dealing with it like that, um, we are kind of in a space of having our hands tied. So we will have to do something to make a change, but I don't know what that looks like. And I hope that some of you guys can help me figure it out because I, I am hopeful that we can. I'm hopeful that we can. I think we're a strong generation of people that want to make changes. So any thoughts? I have 
nothing but uh, availability to hear them. So if you want to email us, that would be great. The miseducated SLP at gmail.com. If you want to DM us on Instagram, miseducated SLP, um, even if you want to go to our Facebook page and, and kind of write anything, message, whatever, it's available. The miseducation of the SLP is out there, ready to hear any thoughts. So feel free. Anyway, until the next time, appreciate you listening. Bye.